Welcome to the Mystic Skeptic Radio Show and Podcast, the program in which we ask the tough questions and explore different alternatives to today's pressing issues, theories, or enigmas. Our show is devoted to the exploration of all things mystical, philosophical, scientific, political, conspiratorial, and cosmic. Join us in an exploration of the Mystic Skeptic Mindspace. This week's show, our guest is Moshe Shertov, originally from Los Angeles. California, who today is a social and political activist and came to live on a kibbutz or communal farm in the Western Galilee near Lebanon in 1974. He recently retired and Moshe has had many professions, including a portrait photographer, farmer, an 18-wheel operator, an advisor to a Muslim member of the Knesset, and most recently a senior technical communicator in the medical device industry. He's married with five kids and a young woman that him and his wife adopted last year. He's joining us from Kibbutz Shomrat in Western Galilee in the state of Israel. Welcome to our show. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Hello, so, Tennessee. Hello, everybody watching. So we're dealing with a controversial subject. Uh, the, the topic today is Zionism, and it has become a dirty word among American progressives. So, uh, you know, for years I've had struggles uh, on how to handle the Israel-Palestine issue on my show, and it's a very divisive topic, and we want to hear from progressive voices in Israel, uh, and then in the future we might be able to have some uh, members of the Palestinian community, but we just want to um, kind of, we've had a, the show that is going to play before this one is, um, a defender of the state of Israel that sounds like every other defender of the state of Israel that you hear. And he says um, that it's all about survival and it's all about accepting people and, and not being racist. But we have to go a little bit deeper and we have to go through the history of uh, the state of Israel. So uh, currently I'm reviewing the book, The Lucky One. It's a memoir about um, persecution in Russia in the 19th century or 20th century, and, um, and on page 81, it says the following. Kishinev, uh, the first site of a major pogrom in the 20th century, resulted in a worldwide condemnation and mass demonstrations in major cities, New York, London, and Paris. The young use of the shtetls uh, reacted by creating defense units with proper training. Money was raised to purchase guns and blacksmiths made iron poles and spikes. Communication was now the telephone, the few that existed, and a network of spies was planted among the pogromists. Some young people sought a political solution and joined revolutionary groups whose focus was to overthrow the Tsar. Thus, the march began towards revolution. Others, such as future Israeli Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion, left Russia and made their way to Palestine. Their experience in Russia and their belief in socialism led to the creation of the kibbutz, the labor unions, and the self-defense forces. This will become the foundation of a future nation. Ironically, the pogroms created a sense of pride in Jewish nationalism for a people who had no country. So uh, another guest on our show talked about how when people migrated to Palestine at that time, um, that he cannot judge them for doing that because they were in, in a bad situation and they had been kicked out from different places or they were being persecuted in Europe. So that to him, that's not the problem. The problem is what happened after. Uh, in your view, um, does, is Zionism, like when people say um, you can be a Jew but not a Zionist, to me it's like a double-handed uh, slap because um, many Jews are Zionists, but people now assume that if you're a Zionist, you must be a bad person or you support the oppression of other people. To you as a progressive Jew in Israel, what does Zionism mean? And is it connected to that history that I was just mentioning? Well, that's a good question because it, the, the essence of the answer is in the question, what kind of Zionism or what kind of Zionist? And um, I think people have to uh, understand that uh, almost like in any, for any person who follows any philosophy or believes in any philosophy, makes it his way of life, there are different strains, different flavors to Zionism. Uh, 
there was the Zionism before the state of Israel. There is the Zionism since. There uh, was a Zionism that came out of the uh, uh, out of our history of thousands of years of not having lived uh, in this in this area. It wasn't a state. Uh, it was a it was a few kingdoms. Uh, there were various. Uh, well, this is one of those places in the world where uh, the most uh, the most forces traveled through it and ruled it probably than almost anywhere else in the world. It was a cross. It still is a crossroads, but uh, much less in the uh, in in times since uh, major transportation has been uh, developed with planes in particular, but with boats so people could uh, bypass. They didn't have to take the land route from Asia or to Asia. Uh, in any case, there, ha there is a religious Zionism, which is obviously based in the history because there were only Jews. There weren't different uh, types of Jews or, or Jews who believed in different types of Judaism. Uh, you either were a Jew at the time or you weren't. And as time developed, there became uh, different, uh, 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 different breakdowns or different movements within Judaism that included, uh, to begin with, the categorization of those who were the only types of Jews back then as being either Orthodox, eventually became Orthodox or uh, uh, ultra-Orthodox and Hasidim, and there are various types of each of those, Hasidim and Orthodox and whatever. There are the conservatives who are less, uh, uh, I don't know exactly how to say it in, in the proper terms. Perhaps you could help me with that. But Religious less, are, stri they're less they're, strict in their observance of the religion. So they would be conservative. One step uh, uh, more liberal in their approach to the religion would be the Reformed Jews. And you have uh, Reconstructionist Jews. And you have people like me who are Jews, but not religious at all. Uh, I was born and raised in a, a Reformed temple in Los Angeles. Uh, in, when I was around 18 years old, I happened to be fortunate that uh, this was the period uh, in the United States of, of the youth revolution. Uh, black became beautiful. And I was very happy about uh, how things were progressing at the time. And I decided to ask myself the question, if black can be beautiful, why can't being Jewish be beautiful? And I started to try to find out, well, wait a second, what does it mean to be Jew? Where am I going? Who am I really? Uh, so we, my, my uh, culmination class, as we called it, the 12th graders at the religious school where I uh, was brought up by my, my parents sent me there. Uh, I kind of screwed up my plans for Little League and being a professional baseball player because uh, on Saturdays they would, they would send me to, to Temple. But anyway, we took over our culmination year and we told the rabbis, no, we're not going to study the things that you had planned. Here's what we want to study. And we gave them a curriculum, which meant uh, we decided to bring in a representative of almost every different type of being a Jew that you could. So we had a, Hasid, we had a, a, a Chabad rabbi or a certain strain of orthodoxy that came in. We had uh, people from the Hashomer Hatzair's Socialist Zionist Youth Movement, which uh, it was is still a movement from around the world in many countries throughout the world that brought people to live on uh, the kibbutz in Israel. And please, by the way, stop me along the way if I happen to mention any terms that either come from the uh, Hebrew or the Arabic and aren't necessarily understood. For instance, just kibbutz, for people who don't know, is a uh, communal farm of which there were like 250 some odd communal farms like this, or in the plural kibbutzim in Israel, spread from the very point, the very farthest north point of this, the country, the very farthest south and everywhere in between. Um, we had many different people come in and I eventually found out that uh, I, I went through actually a, a religious period, which I'd uh, wrap tefillin, I would, I would go through the uh, various, uh, uh, traditions of uh, uh, the religious tradition of trying to uh, become a religious Jew. And after a while, I came to the realization that I didn't really believe in a God. So there was no real point in my being religious. And I didn't want to be uh, uh, 
what's the word? Uh, I didn't want to do it superficially. I did, at the time, I was looking for my roots. And we actually formed in Los Angeles what was called the Jewish Radical Community. It was actually my older brother was part of, among the uh, founders of the Jewish Radical Community. And people who were progressives and tried to find the religiosity in Judaism that met their way of life and their thinking in terms of where they lived. They weren't living in, an, in a Jewish country or anything. So uh, uh, I eventually found the fact that uh, to live on a kibbutz, which was, an, which was more today, it is less an egalitarian society. In other words, uh, uh, an equal approach to the sexes, to almost everything. Uh, that, that respects everyone of any color, race, religion, uh, way of thinking equally. In other words, uh, we weren't you, you, on kibbutzim more back then than now. I stop right here and just say that kibbutzim have uh, uh, privatized, instead of being totally socialist the way we were back then, we privatized, which also brought on all sorts of social changes and adjustments. But any, in any case, at the time, there was no requirement or understanding that, that a woman would be working in the kitchen or with the children. Uh, we, everything was open to everybody and whatever a person uh, felt like they wanted to do and could do, so we, they had the chance to do it. They could work with the cows in a dairy or they could go out and plow the fields or they could work with the children if they wanted. I managed the dining room, the, the communal dining room, the kibbutz, uh, three meals a day for 350 people. It's quite a, quite a show. Uh, that's gone, <laughs> among other socialist uh, uh, enterprises that we once uh, held at, held high. That's gone. The children's houses used to be not just uh, daycare centers, but we raised our children there. My my kids went to sleep in a children's house uh, with a with a guard there uh, just to uh, uh, be aware of any problems there might be and come take care of them, so that we could the parents could sleep at home, wake up at four in the morning to take my truck down to the Negev desert and come back around lunchtime. Uh, at four o'clock, the kids would come home. We would bring them home and we would have four quality hours of parents and children together before I would take them back to the dining room for dinner and then to the children's house for repeating the cycle. Uh, so I also worked in a children's house. I was uh, a caretaker for kindergarten kids. So there was really a, a striving for equality, although we know that no one is actually equal. Uh, nonetheless, that was the way of life that brought me here because it was different. It wasn't just a commune. It was a commune based on a Jewish history. Uh, I would, uh, I was, before I came here, I was of the understanding about uh, the occupation at the time. We didn't call it the occupation. We called it the West Bank, conquered territory. Gaza, conquered territory, Golan Heights, the same. And I would not live in any of those areas. Although the movement that I, uh, the movement of our kibbutzim that exists throughout the entire country, uh, we refuse to build any of these settlements. They're not really settlements, communities. Uh, we refuse to build these communities in the West Bank, for instance, or in Gaza. And there were two that wanted to start uh, near the Golan Heights, and they had fields in the Golan Heights. And we told them as a movement, we'll be happy to help you with that. That's fine. But should you need to give back your territory, your land, or even your houses, because it is, a, a let's say, an issue that would prevent peace with Syria, you have to be of the understanding that's what you're going to have to do. So in other words, as you see behind me, I have a uh, Turkish uh, aqueduct behind me. Those are the hills of the Galilee behind with the Kfar Yassif and uh, the Jerusalem village of Yarka and other, we live in the Western Galilee. The Western Galilee is about 50% Arab as opposed to the rest of the country, which is mostly Jewish. Uh, this is the kind of Zionism that I wanted to uh, work the fields, to be around people all around me who were uh, Arabs. Uh, there's a Christian village not far from here from of people from uh, Christians from all over the world, mainly uh, Germany and uh, Holland. I don't discriminate against anybody for any reason. I try not to hold any prejudice that would make me relate to people in a negative way. 
I look at the differences between people as the spice of life. I, I love different types of food. I love different languages. I'm, uh, uh, I love ethnomusicology. I'm into all sorts of different types of music. These are the things that interest me, but how would I like to live? The community, it was really good. So my, my Zionism was one of communal Zionism. It isn't the Zionism of Mayor, uh, Rabbi Mayor Kahana, who based it on uh, uh, protecting the Jewish people everywhere and anywhere as a result of uh, the suffering of the Holocaust. I don't base my Zionism on suffering, but rather on a goal for the future. We call the kibbutz a, uh, an, an experiment that has yet to fail. <laughs> it's been very close to failing a few times, but the idea was that uh, we would, in the very beginning, we were, we put these kibbutzim purposefully in the middle of nowhere. We were just, we would go out and be in the middle of the desert or in the, some mountain in the Galilee or somewhere. And the discussion was, well, should we be a part of the state of Israel or an island unto ourselves and self-sufficient, which was a really beautiful idea to be able to grow your own food and everything you needed and take care of all of your needs. But we decided to become part of the establishment of the state of Israel, our children, and we went into the army. Uh, we went to the universities and, and married people from outside and whatever. But this is my Zionism. My Zionism, uh, I, I came about with in the late 60s. This was after the 1967 war in, in which uh, Israel conquered territory beyond the 1949 uh, armistice lines. And at the time in 1967, better even 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 more so 1968 after we'd already been holding these territories for some time with thousands and thousands hundreds of thousands of people who weren't israelis they definitely weren't jewish what were they and slowly but surely for economic reasons mainly in my opinion uh we did not use these territories to broker a peace as like a trade of, uh, okay, we're leaving, but we want to live in peace. So now what do we do? We never really got there because what happened was the various uh, industrial and agricultural entities throughout the country realized, hey, we've got a really cheap source of labor here. Wow. If there was one thing that Israel was missing, we were a small country. So we needed lots of working hands. And many of the people who came mainly from the European countries were highly educated. They weren't into getting their hands dirty and doing the menial labor that was also required. So we had people to work in the fields and in industry. And it seemed like it was a good deal. Look, the, the Palestinians are making five, ten times more than they ever would have had they stayed in Jordan at the time. There was no Palestine at the time as a country. There still isn't. But... Uh, uh, the land that we had conquered was from the Jordanians, the West Bank. The Golan Heights was from the Syrians. We conquered the Sinai Desert and Gaza from the Egyptians. Uh, and I'm only talking in terms that relate to after 1948, the War of Independence. Uh, uh, there was no real ga uh, border of Gaza before then, before uh, the establishment of the State of Israel. But uh, my Zionism didn't have to do with either conquering more land or being a, uh, uh, a ruler to the other people living around me. Uh, my, my goal was to live with the people around me in a mutuality. And uh, in the Western Galilee, that's pretty much the, the case. We actually lived together very well. And what you see on, in the news about uh, terrorist attacks, so to speak, uh, just last, in the last few days, there was a rabbi in, uh, Petah Tikva, which is not far from the West Bank, but also very close to Tel Aviv, a rabbi was uh, stabbed to death by a, a Palestinian worker who had an actual official state permit to come from the Palestinian territories into Israel to work. And he'd been working for 15 or 16 years in Israel, but one day, and we still don't know why, he decided to go on a, uh, a rampage and killed somebody. So the term terror becomes muddy when that kind of activity takes place beyond the borders of Israel. I know I've gotten away from the idea of uh, Zionism right here, but just to finish the thought, 
and how and and show how complex these issues are when a person in within the state of Israel goes and murders anyone or even tries to murder anyone or or plants bombs or or whatever this is considered terrorism when a person does that in occupied territory that is, and and the target of such attacks would be against civilians or i think it's even uh, uh, a, a, a soldier let's say who is unarmed that's still considered terrorism but when that kind of attack takes place against an armed soldier an israeli in the west bank which is not officially part of israel yet it's the person is considered a freedom fighter well that's nice to say for all of us who understand that but most israelis would still call that a, a terrorist attack and we have to make that distinction uh it's a it's a touchy issue let's put it that way other people would look at israel as being a terrorist state in general just for even being here or especially since 1967 for taking over territory and especially since we started we unfortunately i say we but it is the state of israel uh since we have been taking private palestinian land for developing settlements or or industrial areas or whatever in the west bank in, in occupied territory that could also be considered terrorism because it's threatening the lives and 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 uh making life miserable for the average palestinian who has no control over his or her destiny they don't have representation in a parliament until the palestinian authority was established and even since then uh, many will argue the fact that uh, the palestinian authority is uh, corrupt and doesn't necessarily represent the palestinians although it is the only real body that uh, uh does represent them officially both in international terms and in internal terms after there was uh, there were elections so the whole idea of zionism has although it was already multifaceted back before the state of israel became more developed more uh complex since then and then became really messy once uh the occupation started so i don't know if i addressed the answer to, uh, if that was a proper answer to your question i went on a few different uh directions there is there anything else you would like to hear about zionism that isn't necessarily clear to our listeners Not well, everybody gonna, understands the situations. Uh, I'm going to bring up all the issues that I hear uh coming from the the news programs uh that are featured on the station from um progressive voices all around the US that um there's a problem of legitimacy that somehow the state of Israel is illegitimate uh because of who was supporting it when it was created and when you and I talked um previously you mentioned that it wasn't the US or even Britain that supported the creation of the state of Israel it was other european powers but i want to know if you know any uh thing about the the call for nationalism among palestinians because you mentioned something that that is usually said by conservative groups that there was no palestine or that the palestinian people didn't have a land or a nation is that really true and and how do you have two competing uh fervors and and that's what people sometimes miss is that the same fervor for the holy land that muslims and arabs have is the fervor that jews had for centuries so to dismiss one and and pick the other one that's a form of uh ethnic cleansing in a sense because you're saying that a people who are connected to a land should give that up and pass it on to somebody else no matter I, who I didn't it say is. that okay uh, but that's that's what people say and right. and that's and it creates this sense of you know the good guys and the bad guys but as mm -hmm. you and I have discovered there's good and bad guys on all around and there's everywhere um the lack of of understanding is what creates ethnocentrism and racism as you had shared in in our conversation so before we even go there um in your interactions with arab um, members of the holy land have they mentioned how their sense of nationality came and was mm -hmm. that they felt that, that was taken away from them or are they in a sense uh, as you mentioned the kibbutzim being um little pockets of of utopian society 
do do Christian Arabs and, and Muslim Arabs that live in um, modern day state of Israel, do they see themselves almost like uh, a reservation or the way that the U.S. has 500 nations within a nation? And because in my class that I took about state and religion is that there's a sense of not bothering the, the local population at, at times. And when you mentioned that the, the number of Arabs who actually vote in Israeli elections is very low, is it because they stay apart and they don't want to be part of the system? And is there kibbutzim who are completely independent and they might pay taxes or allow their kids to go to the military, but are they in opposition to the whole um, system? Mm-hmm. Wow. You've, you've crossed a lot of points here in the question, so I'm going to try to go back and, and uh, touch them one by one. I hope uh, our listeners or viewers don't get the impression that I'm trying to dodge the question. I'm just trying to be as uh, comprehensive in my answer as I can. So uh, when you said that I'd mentioned that it wasn't only the United States and Britain or the Western countries that created Israel, it was the uh, Europeans also in, in particular, uh, well, they didn't, none of them created the state of Israel. The state of Israel was actually created by the people who were striving to create a state. What they eventually did was they gave their approval through the, a vote in the United Nations that uh, divided the country into two states, a uh, partition plan that would leave a state of Palestine and a state of Israel, and neither of which would be contiguous. And Israel uh, approved the plan, and uh, the various Arab entities in the area did not. That included the Palestinians and the neighboring uh, states that already existed. But uh, it wasn't any of those entities that created the state, actually. And when I say that there wasn't a Palestine, I, I didn't, I don't think I said that, but there wasn't a state of Palestine. The name of Palestine has been around since uh, Roman times. And uh, there have been various names to, to this region, to this land, including Canaan and others. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to address that as much as I'm going to address the situation, starting with the establishment of the state of Israel, which uh, you can either look at it as a positive or a negative uh, development. But I think that's the point from which we have to start addressing the issues if we're going to try to look forward toward ending our conflict and creating a better society, not only for both Israelis and Palestinians, but for the rest of our region, which includes, includes Arabs, Iranians, and others, and also for the rest of the world, because whether it is accurate or not that uh, this conflict is, is preventing world peace or preventing uh, a proper world order, for instance, in 1973 after the Yom Kippur War or the October War, whichever you prefer to call it, there was an oil embargo against the West. And I remember living in Chicago at the time and standing for 45 minutes in, in, in my car, standing in a line to get to fill up for gas. And people were dying, freezing in their cars, freezing to death when their when they're gasoline emptied. Uh, so it's, again... A bit of a, a complex thing, but I, I, I definitely never said that there was never a Palestine. But uh, also, you mentioned the ideas of, of, of good guys and bad guys. Uh, I don't use that terminology. I don't believe that there is such a thing as a bad guy or a good guy. We're all humans. Uh, George Bush, I, the, 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 uh, the son, I think, was one of those people who tried to make everything very, very clear and simple to people. They're the bad guys. We got to get those bad guys. We're the good guys. We got to help those good guys. I don't think there is such a thing. And I think that we all have to look at each other as different, having different understandings of how we each see various situations in different ways. And I have to be willing to understand that they'd see it differently than I do. Even my own kids see things differently than I do. And that's fine. So obviously the guy who lives next door to me sees it differently. And obviously somebody who lives across the river sees it different than me. That doesn't make him bad or good or his view bad or good. That just means we have to deal with it and try to see how we get along and see how we move forward and progress towards something which is mutual and, and positive. 
to the Christians and Muslims. I have Christian and Muslim friends, many. As you mentioned in the introduction, I was a, uh, an advisor to a Muslim member of the Israeli Knesset. Just to uh, give a little description of my friend, whose name is Zohir Bahalul, he was a member of the Labor Party, or he uh, joined the Labor Party. And he grew up in the city of Haifa, and then moved to the mixed city of Haifa, and then moved to the mixed city across the bay to the city of Akko, which is uh, two or three miles from my kibbutz. Um, Zohair is a wonderful man. He says very clearly, I'm not a Zionist, but that doesn't mean I don't love the state that I live in, which is an amazing state. It offers a democracy and a, a, an opportunity for anybody who wants to take part to progress and be pretty much anything they want to be. That sounds a bit naive. And as time went by in his term in, in the Knesset, he found that to be less and less true because of our more racist and fascistic government that uh, in, the, in the end, as far as he was concerned, passed what is called the nation state law, which in essence gave absolute priority to anything Jewish within the state of Israel. Now, I don't look at Israel as the Jewish state, and I don't want to live in a Jewish state. I want to live in a modern I want to live in a modern and democratic state which just like I would love to have a Palestinian state next to Israel living in peace and cooperation that will be a homeland for the Palestinian people I hope but also I also hope that it will be uh, democratic um, but there are, let's say, three main groups of Arabs in the, in, within Israel. There are the Christians, of which there are a few uh, different uh, factions of Christianity. Uh, there are the Muslims, of which there are the two main uh, types of uh, 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 Muslims, although there actually is a third that live in the Haifa area. And then there are the Druze, D-R-U-Z-E, who actually uh, started in Egypt, but uh, mainly today live in Lebanon, Syria, and Israel. Among them, there are various types of ways that they relate to Israel. For instance, the Druze, in their belief, are subservient to or, 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 or take part in every country that they live in. In other words, the Druze in Lebanon consider themselves Lebanese. They serve in the Lebanese army. The Druze in Syria, up until uh, the, the, re the, the recent civil war and, and conflict and things that broke Syria into little pieces, they served in the Syrian army. They consider themselves loyal Syrian uh, 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 citizens. And within Israel, the same. So almost all young men who are Druze serve in the Israeli army, and some of them are more patriotic. If, if you will ask them, they consider themselves to be absolutely more patriotic than most Jews, because it's like they have a point to prove. And there is the misconception that most of the Druze are therefore right-wing and conservative, and will go along with anything that the government of Israel says. That is not the case. I attended the first Druze peace conference in the uh, village called Yarka, which you can see in the background of uh, behind my, my, behind the uh, Turkish aqueduct. Uh, and there are more and more Druze who oppose the policies of our government than ever before, because they realize that they are being marginalized as Arabs. And although they never really wanted to be only Arabs, they wanted to be citizens of Israel just like anybody else. Unfortunately, many Jews within Israel relate to them specifically as Arabs and therefore discriminate against them. Uh, Christians, one would think, I don't know, maybe other people don't think that way, but may, possibly one would think that because people are Christian, we would be more uh, able to accept them than Muslims. That's not necessarily the case among the leaders of the PLO and other uh, uh, Palestinian groups that uh, fought against the state of Israel, 
there are Christians and there are Muslims. And in Israel, it's the same thing. Most, most villages are either Christian or Muslim or Druze. There are some villages that are mixed. The city of Akko is totally mixed between uh, Jews and Arabs of, the, of different uh, origins. Uh, by the way, the city of Akko is an amazing place where mutuality and, and respect uh, is, it's absolutely amazing. And anybody who uh, wants to see how that works, Zohar Bahalul is my, my friend who's the member of Knesset, is from Akko. So it also is complex. It also is a rainbow of flavors and ideas and also narratives. I mean, I've, I've made a point of trying to understand what these people who live around me will tell me about what happened in 1948 and before, what happened since 1948. There are actually various realities, various um, uh, actions that were taken either by the leaders of their own communities or by the leaders of the Jewish forces who were trying to establish uh, the borders of a state that was just established during this war of independence. So it's a very difficult uh, and, and complex answer as almost everything around here is. Um, more and more, by the way, there are more and more Muslim Arabs who are volunteering to serve in the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, our army. Uh, many people have, uh, will, will take, uh, uh, will challenge that name, Defense Forces. Uh, but uh, yes, that's the name up until now. Uh, just another example of, of, of my issues with the state of Israel, for instance, uh, is our flag. Our flag doesn't represent the state of Israel. Our flag represents the people of Israel, the Jews. It has a Magen David, a Jewish star in the center, with blue colors, as are the blue colors of the Talit, uh, the, excuse me, the, the prayer shawls for those the prayer shawl. And it also has two stripes on it, which are also symbolic of the prayer shawl. Now, yes, the majority today and for many years, the majority of the state of Israel has been Jewish. So most Jews won't even think twice about it. Of course, that's our flag. To me, it doesn't speak for the 20% of our citizens who are not Jews. Same is true of our uh, national anthem called Hatikva, or the hope. And it's a song that speaks of 2,000 years of yearning and, and looking Israel word, Jerusalem word in particular, toward Jerusalem for the last 2,000 years. Well, that's nice, unless you weren't. So here is one of the main problems that makes everything both more complex and problematic at the same time, and that is, this is a state of Israel. This does not necessarily, no, I'll make that very clear. It does not represent the Jewish people. The Jewish people did not vote to have a state of Israel, nor do they vote to support it, nor does Israel have the right to assume that it represents anybody other than the people, the citizens of the state of Israel who vote for that government. So particularly since 1977 when uh, the uh, Labor Party and the Israel Workers Party or, and the United Workers Party in Israel uh, were thrown out and the right wing came in in 1977 with Menachem Begin and others, led by Menachem Begin, um, the attitude has changed, the approach has changed, and it's been more one more of nationalism and less of being all-encompassing and representing its citizens, but rather looking back at the Holocaust and saying, this is why we must have a country. And the Holocaust is going to govern everything that we decide upon. And uh, it's going to decide, also, it's going to also be our reason for uh, almost everything. It's like a justification. Now, I don't think anyone would deny that the, uh, the Holocaust, or first of all, there are people who deny the Holocaust, but I don't think that anybody who un understands that there was the Holocaust in which uh, my family members perished in, in Poland, uh, and uh, uh, 
those who recognize the fact that there was a Holocaust and understand that many of the people who died, died as a result of the fact that they had nowhere else to go. And even the United States was offered to take many Poles and Czechs and Hungarians and others, other Jews throughout Europe. But the United States said, excuse me, where are they from? Poland? Let's see. No, we've reached our quota for Poles. We can't take any more. Thank you. And as a result, millions, millions of my people died. So I'm not saying that therefore we are totally justified in everything and anything that we want to do. But yes, I believe that we are entitled to a homeland. Yes, this homeland has been uh, uh, more or less, I, I'm saying more or less because it isn't uh, absolute, but more or less empty of Jews for centuries. There were Jews that lived here throughout the centuries, but the, they were not the majority of the people living here. Uh, nonetheless, there is no other either natural or deserving place on earth to have a national uh, 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 a homeland for the Jewish people other than Israel. We were offered Uganda at a certain point to try to defuse the issue of uh, living with the people around us or living against the people around us, which was not something I would ascribe to. Uh, the joke goes that, that Moshe, uh, Moses was a stutterer. And when God talked to him about uh, where to go, where, to the, where the Jewish people should go, so he, he started saying, kick it, kick, kick, and he stuttered his way through it. And God said, oh, Canaan. And that's the reason we don't live in Canada. <laughs> but that doesn't work in real life. In any case, um, love you, Canada. Don't take me wrong. I love Canada. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, Let me stop you there because the we're still... Excuse me? Uh, let me stop you for a minute. So we're still dealing sure. with a lot of issues. And before we get attacked, uh, I don't know if you got to see the, the YouTube video about the um, conversation about Bernie Sanders and his support or lack thereof of Israel. But we get attacked that um, we were pushing uh, socialist uh, propaganda and anti-Israel uh, rhetoric. Um, what we know is that you can ask questions and that the, the best way to, to get to the bottom of something is to go through it. Now it has become that anybody questions what's going on over there is anti-Semitic or anti-Israel. And without this, this nuance that there are certain things that, that you support and certain things that you don't, just like the U.S., that just because you're a citizen of the U.S., are you unpatriotic if you don't support a certain war or a certain type of um, intervention uh, in another place? But um, I felt that for the years that, I, that I've been involved in the Jewish community that progressives uh, either don't want to talk about the state of Israel because they know it's a very hot button or they jump sides really quick so they don't seem like they're being um, prejudicial towards other groups. Um, so how, how do you, um, like when someone says, um, if you were to travel to Europe and they find out that you are Israeli and that you're proud of being an Israeli or that you are a Zionist in your own way and they completely dismiss you as, as someone who's supporting a, a negative regime, how would you respond to being someone who might not be in favor of the BDS movement and might not sign that you stand against all of the things that Israel has done for the past 70 years. How do you give people uh, enough information for you to hold your ground without them wanting to knock over your whole premise? Okay. First of all, make it very clear. I consider myself a progressive, both in terms of uh, my worldview, in terms of Israel, and in terms of the United States. I considered myself uh, Bernie's main man in Israel. I was his, uh, I tried to push uh, Bernie's ideas and his candidacy got both in 2016 and recently. Uh, I was in touch with, with his brother who lives in, uh, in the United Kingdom and uh, um, to the extent where when Bernie spoke I'd have to double check that my lips weren't moving because he pretty much says almost everything and anything that I would say regarding Israel and regarding everything. And I think we have to uh, make a distinction here. Uh, you mentioned the term anti-Israeli or anti-Israel. 
I'll use the pro-Israel. And I contend that to be actually and fully pro-Israel, you must also be pro-Palestine. And the reason I say that is, in a conflict, in this conflict in particular, no one side can win, as we saw in 1967. If one side win, both sides, in essence, lose. I don't consider our occupation or our progress as a result of that occupation to be beneficial. I believe that our children, and we and our children, have been negatively influenced by having to police so many people who never wanted to be a part of the state of Israel. And unlike the Palestinians living within Israel, who are citizens of Israel, the Palestinians in the occupied territory don't have a voice. They, they don't have any control over their own destiny whatsoever. Uh, you could say that since the establishment of the Palestinian Authority, they have a certain or they have a right to have control over their own destiny, but that hasn't been really the case. But let's see, put that aside in the meantime. So I believe to be pro-Israel, you have to also be pro-Palestine. And the inverse is true. If you're anti-Israel, you're also anti-Palestine. One of these days, we're going to live in peace side by side or together in one country or however it's going to work out. But it, in, the, in the final analysis, they're not leaving and we're not leaving. So let's cut to the chase. What is the point in trying to be either anti-Israel or anti-Palestine? How about looking at it as being just like any other country? Uh, are the French anti-German? Not anymore. French live as uh, very good friends with Germany and vice versa, despite having gone through two horrific world wars, not even just a regional conflict. The, the world war was based in Germany twice, but France and Germany, Belgium and France, all of these countries have understood that there is more value to finding mutuality and a way to exist together in peace and cooperation than find the differences between us and say, oh, it's because you're German or because you're French, you obviously, no, that won't work. It doesn't work, it won't work. Uh, so I know of the term progressive except regarding Israel or for Israel, there's a term for it. I forget exactly the uh, acronym for it, but uh, the, the abbreviation for it. But I know of many people throughout the world, in particular in the United States, Jews who consider themselves progressive and are even Bernie lovers are, are, are consider themselves socialists or whatever until it comes to Israel, and they say, oh, no, no, no. Now, there is this knee-jerk reaction among Jews. I call it a justified paranoia. I mean, let's face it, half of our people, six million people were murdered because they were Jews. So there are those of us still alive who both, I don't remember it, I wasn't alive at the time, but I do understand and, my, and, and know of family members who perished during the Holocaust, therefore were. Let's put it this way, the subject is extremely touchy, just as the subject of slavery is very touchy, to, especially to people of color in the United States uh, and in many of the countries where slavery existed. There's no question about it that uh, uh, people whose, whose ancestors did not suffer from slavery look at it differently than those who, yeah, that's the reason they were here was they were brought here for slavery. If they can't not deal with it on a different level than people who are not of color. And therefore you have this disparity in the United States where it's finally coming around to an understanding by most everyone who has any senses that you have to relate differently than you have for hundreds of years to a certain people. The same thing goes to uh, regarding everything regarding Israel. And if you wanna be progressive, you should be progressive. I'm offended by and very deeply hurt by the fact that progressive Jews in particular in the United States, but in, in general, that progressives in the United States don't support progressives in Israel. We are doing amazing things together with progressives. It doesn't matter if they're Arabs or Jews. I, I, I belong to a number of organizations that are working towards this, this goal of mutuality. And these would be considered progressive ideas but not by Jews who have this knee-jerk reaction. It generally has to do with their position in the political scale in the United States. If they are right-wingers, then they are generally more, I will support Israel no matter what. And more left-wing would say, 
yeah, but there's this occupation. There are these uh, uh, various laws in Israel that don't, appeal, uh, don't apply to all of its citizens, but only either to the Jews or whatever. So I don't accept that, uh, that view. And I'm, and I'm hurt that the right wing in the United States, the, in particular, the right wing religious United States, they have this uh, existing framework in which they get together, which is wonderful. Synagogues, temples, where they actually, it's wonderful to get together either on a daily or a weekly basis, or if they're you know, not adherent to all of the laws of Judaism, they get together two, three, four times a year. And in that framework, they discuss. And the, the obvious discussion since 1967 has been Israel and to support Israel. I think everyone should support Israel. But I also think everyone should support Palestine. There's no difference. I mean, I, I don't want to be against anybody's desire for uh, self-determination for a nation. And obviously that becomes problematic in countries where there are very allowed to secede from the United States of America and have their own countries. It's kind of problematic because as non-contiguous as Palestine uh, appears to be at the time right now, same would be true about the uh, Native Americans. But that doesn't mean they don't deserve equal rights within that country or the self-determination. Somehow, you have to make uh, uh, some, uh, you have to approach their rights as minorities in a different way than you uh, relate to your rights as a majority. And that's one of the bases of democracy is protecting the minorities. And this is where American Jewry still has to get over its automatic approval of everything and anything Israel does. We have to be, just like I can be against the policies of a Trump government, that doesn't make me anti-American. To be opposed to the policies of a Netanyahu or right-wing government in Israel doesn't make you automatically anti-Israel. And even if you are opposed to the policies, and even if you consider yourself anti-Israel, that doesn't make you automatically anti-Semitic. People make these assumptions and link them together as if they're a continuance of a certain chain. They're not. And people should realize that you're allowed to have different ideas about different things, and different ideas about different countries, and especially different ideas about different governments within those countries. So all of that is valid. And I'm hoping that progressives everywhere will oppose the policies of a right-wing government in Israel, just like the right-wing opposed the policies of the Rabin government, who is moving towards peace and a Palestinian state and an end of our occupation and the conflict. Let's flip that. Um, what about the people that say that if you don't support BDS, you hate the Palestinians and you're happy with their plight? Okay. I know, I know the this conflict personally, because my brother is a supporter of BDS, I am not. That doesn't mean we don't love each other. That doesn't mean uh, he's right or wrong, or I'm right or wrong. I've looked at the goals of BDS, and I agree with almost all of them. I agree. We should end the occupation immediately. We should be giving full and equal rights to all Palestinians and others who live in Israel who are not Jewish. And we should be allowing the, the right of return. We should, excuse me, we should recognize the right of return, which doesn't necessarily mean that every Palestinian who wants to come uh, live in the home where his ancestors lived will immediately be approved and, and will have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of uh, Palestinian refugees who are located in various countries around the world all of a sudden in, uh, uh, coming to Israel and will change, change the... Uh, uh, the entire demography of the country, the demographics of it, doesn't mean it won't. But these are things that need to be discussed. These are things that need to be approved, uh, negotiated. And I don't approve a BDS because, as I stated before, I want your investment, particularly in the, thi particularly in the things that are good and progressive about Israel. And there is lots. I don't want you to just judge Israel as one thing, like we today would not judge America as one thing. It can switch in November. I hope it will. These things aren't unidimensional. And I would like you to help me and help us progressives in Israel overturn 
the what I call Likudnikin rule. Likudnikin being Likud is the main right-wing party of Israel and Republican, the main right-wing party of the United States. I believe them to be one single entity and working together with the same sugar daddy, Sheldon Harrison, who uh, pays for everybody's uh, uh, candidacy, who's a right-winger and, and doesn't represent me whatsoever. Uh, BDS, I don't, wa I don't want that. What, what you're doing is punishing also the left in Israel and the progressives in Israel. Let's somehow distinct, uh, dis uh, make a distinction between those who approve of or participate in occupation and those who don't. I refused to serve in occupied territory. I went to Lebanon the first time in 1982 with the understanding that we were at war because this is a war of survival. All of us went. And I was stationed in Beirut. I actually flew into Beirut airport, not with permission of the Lebanese necessary and not with a passport, with a gun and being a soldier. And the second time I got called up, I said, wait a second, this is uh, okay, this has been going on too long. And by the third call up came, I said, no, I'm not coming. Um, you, uh, you have no right to, to call me up now. You, you said in the beginning this would be a 48-hour incursion. Then you said it would only be to the Litani River. And then you said it would only be for two weeks. And then you said it would only be to the outskirts of Beirut. Here I am sitting in Beirut. And you're going to tell me it's not all of Beirut. Eventually, we, I was one of the last Israeli soldiers left in Beirut because they forgot to tell us they were leaving. And so I was lucky to be able to drive and drove my, my way out of Beirut up to the hills uh, with my other two soldiers. And... Uh, after we left and were finished with our reserve stint, uh, Israel went back and conquered all of Beirut. So we, since then, almost all of the Israeli left has understood that we've been lied to throughout, the, throughout history, and we need to stop believing the government line, no matter what, no matter who. We have to be aware of what's going on, understand the complexity of it all, and make our own judgments as human beings and parents and members of a democratic society, and that we have a responsibility not to go along with uh, 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 policies and, and implementation of those policies that are wrong. Defend my country? Of course I would defend my country. That's what an army is for. But my army now is not defending my borders. My army, um, among other things, is defending my borders, our borders. But it is patrolling the, the West Bank as policemen. Because Israeli law says uh, that, that a, 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 an Israeli in the West Bank, whether he lives there or not, cannot be touched by a, a, a soldier, but only a policeman because he's a citizen. Ah, but regarding the Palestinians, soldiers deal with the, with the Palestinians. That's not why, I have, that's not why my, uh, my children have gone into the IDF. That's not why I went into the IDF. A soldier should be for, uh, should be maintaining and protecting the borders from attack and from uh, attack from uh, aggressive forces from the outside. Police should be taking care of internal things. That's the problem, that there's this gray area since 1967 of occupied territory that says, well, it's kind of Israel. Where are we going to make it Israel? No, it's wrong. And I was deeply hurt by the fact that uh, uh, two governments in which my party took part uh, the Rabin government of the late of the middle 1990s and the Barak government of 2000, 1999 until 2001. We didn't reduce our footprint in occupied territory. We didn't make the move to get out of occupation. Actually, we played a passive role in allowing more occupation forces, more settlers to come and live on Palestinian land obviously was not ours. It didn't belong to Jordan anymore since the King of Jordan said, no, no, I don't need that. Thank you very much. I'm out of here, which is more or less what he did one day, which complicated matters even further for the Palestinians there. But anyway, getting back to the idea of BDS, I hope you don't boycott all of Israel. I hope if you want to boycott everything and anything that is a product of occupation, sure. I also oppose it. I don't drive through the West Bank unless it's for uh, condolences uh, visits, which I paid condolences visits to Jewish families who had their, one family had their son uh, uh, who was murdered at the entrance to his uh, community. Uh, I've also paid condolences visit, visits and uh, to Palestinian families. I've gone to Ramallah to sit with uh, uh, Abu Mazen 
in the Mukata, in the, the head of the Palestinian Authority. I will go there only for specific reasons and as, as least often as possible. I don't want to be a pawn in anybody's game. If somebody attacks me, I don't want somebody to make a reprisal in my name. I don't want to be part of that. 